Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things Substrates, Polkadot, and Web3. This is part two of a two-part episode with Rui Tao and Antonia. In the last episode, we talked about the DeFi ecosystem in Ethereum and Polkadot and their suite of protocols under Laminar. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Akala network, their stablecoin, and how they made a sustainable parachain and a decentralized sovereign wealth fund. Let's get into Akala. Um, which is your stablecoin protocol. And in your white paper, you have two protocols uh, within this. There's Hanzon and Homa. So can we start with Hanzon? Um, and like you had mentioned at the end of the last parts about the difference with MakerDAO. And so how is the Alcala stablecoin different from Maker? So the Hanzon protocol um, is part of the, the Alcala offering, right? And it's like the characterized stablecoin protocol. Um, it's pretty much a long protocol that you can just um, take a long position against any um, solid um, or valuable crypto asset that's available on the Polkadot um, network. So it's a MakerDAO-inspired uh, model, but we have some very unique different uh, offering to the MakerDAO uh, model. So pretty much one thing that we notice uh, with the MakerDAO designs that the liquidation process is um, somehow needs some sort of um, need, need some improvement. So in the MakerDAO model, um, there's like two set of order book, if I phrase that correctly. So there's this oasis uh, market that people is able to um, buy die for, for um, exchange die for Ethereum or exchange Ethereum for die, but the actual auction process or the liquidation process runs in a different ways. Uh, it's like it offers um, risky position auction those is uh, for die um, in a different way. So those is that we can see that um, in our opinion, those like two set of liquidity in in one protocol, which is not the very optimal design. So in our design, um, we actually have a built-in decentralized exchange as the final shot of defense for risky liquidations. So think about if a risky position is going to happen on the Alcala network, we'll go through the auction process. And if no one bids, or if there's some reason that um, the bid didn't went through, um, then we'll use the liquidity in the decentralized exchange that we built in um, to as the ultimate source of liquidity in those uh, risky positions. That will be like much, much safer in terms of like risky positions, and it also um, source all the liquidity into one places. So the other uh, design that will be unique, different from MakerDAO is because we are deploying um, this um, Alcala power chain as a shard in the Polkadot network. We can pretty much customize everything, right? And one thing we will definitely customize from day one is that we want the transaction fee to be payable in, in our version of DAI. Um, and our version of DAI is called AUSD. That means that if you have an account on the Alcala power chain and you have some sort of AUSD, you can already transfer those AUSD and those fee will be payable in AUSD. So you don't have to have another native token to pay with. Um, the better is that even better, we will start to think about, hey, uh, if you hold enough AUSD, you, it seems like that you already have some sort of stake on the network. We can probably offer you some sort of free transfer 
per day as like for having some stake on the network. As long as you can prove that it's safe, it's not going to congesting the network, we can have this sort of feasibility in offering this sort of convenience for large stakeholders. So those is the thing we start to think about, like um, reducing the barrier to entry, reducing this counterintuitive um, fee mechanisms. And ultimately, we, what we want to see is that this is a power chain and this is a set of protocol that we come up with. And on top of that, you can start to develop um, your own solution on, on the Arcala project. Because um, think about that. This is like a project. It also have the smart contract capability. People can deploy ink contract into our um, project. Uh, they don't have to worry about getting a project um, lease. They don't have to worry about getting a project thread. Um, and we are able to support that and pretty much support it in a way that's, um, that's very flexible. Right. Yeah, so it still allows users to deploy, say, like custom logic to interact with AUSD and the ACA token. Yes. So what we um, what we are thinking about right now is that we uh, we're gonna go through and with the most complicated foundation layer, right? So there would be like um, the stablecoin, the out the CDB process. Um, the staking process and the project and the security of everything. And it will be like an, a solid ground for people to develop um, additional stuff on top of that. Yeah, so like, and then if we go into HOMA, and this kind of uh, is related to what you were saying earlier about how your funds can do more than one thing, like they're not just bound to one thing. Can you describe mm-hmm. HOMA and like how that works? Yeah, actually, like um, the home is a necessity rather than a luxury in our protocol design. It's not like, um, hey, your money could be in both places. But in these cases, your money have to be in both places for this protocol to make sense. So if we think about Ethereum right now, so Ethereum itself currently has only like a store of value um, because it cannot be used for staking at least not now. So it's perfectly okay for some Ether holder to lock in the Ethereum into the maker contract and then to, to take out a loan and draw some die. That's perfectly fine. But if you think about that, hey, in the upcoming proof of state network, if you do that, then um, let's take dot as an example, right? If a dot holder wants to lock in some dots and take out a loan um, of some AUSD, we are essentially competing for the staking yield. So because as a dot holder, you might want to stake your dots and getting some return of your, your, of your, your dots as the staking yield. Yeah, right? I've heard this. I've heard like the staking yield as like the risk-free rate of return in blockchain. Yeah. Yeah, so this is like something that every dot holder would try to um, try to gain, right? But if we simply ask dot holder to to lock in their dot and take out a loan, that we're competing for that, and we don't want to see that happening. The good thing is that hey, um, because this is the blockchain world, your money can be, can be in, in a lot of different places. So we come up with the Homa protocol, allow you to state your dot through the protocol in a trustless way, so you will get a receipt of your stake dots back. So if you think about that, um, uh, the dot stakes through our protocol, you will get an L dot back. The L dot is short for liquid dot. That means that you have liquidity. You don't have to unstake it. You can transfer it to anywhere. And it's as good as the, the original stake dot. And also it's like the interest bearing of dot, right? Um, you, if you hold L dot, you will hold the staking yield. And the L dot is, uh, again, can be used as a character to put locking to the Honzo protocol and draw along uh, out. So those is like um, one, that's why I call it a necessity rather than luxury. Um, by having the Homa protocol, we avoid the competition of like um, the dot holder, like they have to choose, do they want to stake or do they want to lock in their dot? They could do both. So like, this is one of the most interesting ideas to me that I've heard about. And like, I first heard about it last like 
don't know, August or September, um, but a decentralized sovereign wealth fund where a blockchain can actually like take positions in other blockchain tokens, um, which is a completely new thing. So Rital, like maybe you can explain like a high level, what is a sovereign wealth fund? And then like, what is a decentralized sovereign wealth fund? Um, and then we'll go into more of the specifics of how this works. Okay. So, I mean, what's a, a sovereign wealth fund? Maybe we will use one of the most successful sovereign wealth funds as an example. Maybe look at Norway's fund, right? So Norway hosts the largest fund, um, the largest sovereign wealth fund, and the, maybe the best performing sovereign wealth fund in the world. Um, what it does is that it's basically much, pretty much um, secure assets and invests on behalf of its citizens. Um, so it has a, a diversity set of portfolios, invests in very solid company, has a very solid, solid portfolio um, across the globe. And whatever that's generated through that sovereign wealth fund will be um, benefit for all of its citizens. And if we think about the blockchain world, um, if we think about blockchain as like its own jurisdiction, as its own digit sovereign nations, then if we think about each protocol as a tiny country, we will start to think, hey, can we operate this protocol in a way that like we're operating a country? Um, in a, in a decentralized way. Um, there's a lot of question to ask that how can a project, um, sustain and survive after it, this project or this decentralized protocol, uh, use all its funds, uh, that it raised, how it can continue to survive and how it continue to, to evolve and scale. And that's one of the challenges that we need to solve, uh, when we were designing the Alcala stable coin. Um, that we, so we come up with this, um, solving wheels fund, um, idea is that, Thinking about MakerDAO right now, um, as an example, um, all the token of the MKR token, all the profit um, are being used to buy the MKR token and burn them. Um, on the Polkadots, um, on when we're designing the Alcala um, stablecoin, we think about, hey, uh, other than burning those tokens, is there a better way that we can come up with to utilize those profits and maybe build up wealth um, in the protocol. So we think about that when we come up with an idea, hey, can we just use this profit to buy DOT? Because DOT has utility, has yield, enable access to this particular network, right? Um, so after some research, we concluded that DOT is probably one of the assets that this protocol should own. It has a set of benefit um, for the protocol to own this asset. And we foresee in the future, there might be additional asset that this protocol can also own. Um, but for now, our primary focus for our digital sovereign wealth fund is to hold enough dots to secure a project slot by itself. Um, I'll probably let Antonio to describe the detail of how we work and why we need it to, to, to sustain this network. Yeah, so like Antonio, the paper that you wrote, it details three different ways that the sovereign wealth fund can uh, generate revenue. Uh, one of them is like the CDP stability fees that get converted to DOTs. Uh, second is the liquidity penalty from defaults. And a third is the LDOT returns and fees. So can you just kind of go over each one and talk about like how those end up with revenue for the sovereign wealth fund? Yeah, sure. Uh, as you could say that, think, you know, we need to use the system income surplus to support the fund. So the three main sources we're going to use. First of all, you know, the realized Stability fee. So it's not all the stability fee in our first plan, but we will, we actually have plans to use, uh, to include the unrealized in the future as well. 
So the realizability fee is when someone closes their CDP. So the CDP fee now comes realized on the book. And instead of the original design, you know, we thought about is pretty close to what MakerDAO were doing is like to buy back for say, you know, um, ask people to pay either in AUSD or other, you know, SAA, but at the end we'll get SAA back and burn them. But then we think about how do we build up the network itself to make the networks you know, stronger and self-sustainable rather than just only think about the value of the native token. So we come to the idea of why don't we, you know, exchange for DOT and holding DOT as a foreign reserve. Because in, in the common world, foreign reserve would be a, a foreign currency, but now like a foreign cryptocurrency reserve. So all the income from the stability fee gonna be exchanged for DOS and to be held by the fund. Well, on the other side, you know, if you look at the data since, you know, we're not online yet, but if you look at the um, revenue analysis on MakerDAO, you could see there's quite a proportion of unrealized stability fee accumulated because the CDP holder haven't closed them. And we also thought about another way to how to, you know, probably we could issue decentralized bond so that we could also capitalize that part of the unrealized ability fee before the closure of the CDP to use it to buy DOT. Um, the other one is the liquidation penalty of the risky CDP. So that's also another income of the Hongdong protocol. We will be using that part of the system surplus to buy DOT to be held by the fund. Because, you know, our goal, as Ray has said, the primary goal is to collect as much DOT as possible owned by the Akala protocol itself so that we could use it to, you know, lease power chain in the future to become self-sustainable. And another, you know, third income is the protocol fee of the adult is the HOMA protocol of the ACLA network, because when people, you know, deposit their dots, for exchange of LDOS, um, to take advantage of our, you know, liquidity of the dot. So we charge a small protocol fee on top of that. So that part of the income of the whole Akala network will contribute to our fund as well. So yeah, that's the men's ray fund. And from that, we could, you know, we also had an analysis and we could see that, you know, once we receive the stars, we will be reinvesting all the dots we collected through the home mass system. That means we're staking them to Polkadot and receive, you know, Polkadot staking rewards so that our, our dot reserve reaches the, the foreign cryptocurrency reserve held by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of decentralized DSWS fund. You can think about as a way of the fund will grow compoundly. Yeah, so I, I think like the foreign, like talking about as like dots as a foreign currency, um, which is interesting because like a dot and say like the Akala chain are both in the same network. Would you say like a good analogy to that would be like two different countries um, that have different currencies, but they're operating under like some 
shared agreement like within the European Union or NATO or some other some other framework where they have some like primitives where they can work together and each country can be sovereign, but they can still own each other's currency and, and have these guarantees. Yeah, it's quite a similar idea, but the the better part of it compared to traditional currency is because think about DOT not only has a value and has its own yield, a stable yield, I mean, in terms of uh, being staked, as well as it has, you know, the most special part is the utility assets. Owning DOT giving you the possibility to support a power chain lease. So that means for, you know, in another sense, for, for a project like us, for Akala, owning DOS would giving Akala the access to PowerChain. So that once Akala has enough DOS, its own DOS through the, through our own, you know, decentralized serving, um, wealth fund, we could become self, self-sustainable. Rather than, you know, running another IPO and asking other people to help and, you know, to lease the power chain together. So like phase one of a sovereign wealth fund is just going to be like the most the most basic objectives for a wealth fund, which is just to increase in value. And then it sounds like phase two is to actually be, make this ecosystem or make this chain self-sustainable so that you can lease the parachain slot with just using the the wealth fund from the chain. What do you imagine like the future looks like when you have a parachain slot secured, but you're still running this sovereign wealth fund? What else do you hope to achieve uh, by using this? First of all, you know, as you say, our primary goal is to lease a parachain slot independently. So we have actually run a very simple and conservative numeric example. And through that, we could see, you know, if we do it good enough, uh, after two years of running, because our, our project, you know, goal was to lease our first parachain for two years in the first round, we might be able to lease our own parachain in the third year of the project, which is the second round of our parachain lease. So if we were able to do that, we'll become completely self-sustainable and we could run independently, you know, we could... All the funds we collected, you know, we built it, we'll be able to, you know, go back, be invested back to the protocol. And there are a lot of amazing things we could do. Ray, do you want to talk a little bit about that high-level thing? Yeah. So I think there's, uh, I mean, once we, once we achieve the primary objective is that this protocol accumulated enough dots. Uh, for itself to become self-sustainable and able to bound a project for itself, we can see a lot of possibility happening. First is that at, if at that stage there's other asset that's valuable enough for this protocol to hold, then we will seek for that. And there will be a governance to, through the token holders governance. The token holder will decide which um, additional asset the Arcala network should continue to hold to increase position or to build up a portfolio. I'm just using uh, some example here. Let's foresee that um, in the future there will be another token. I'm just using uh, the Oracle example that we talked about earlier. That if this particular Oracle protocol has this sort of utility access token, that if you have enough of it, you can gain access 
um, for this particular set of Oracle service for a particular amount of um, queries uh, per period, then it would be advantage for the Arcala protocol to hold this Oracle service token as well um, on behalf of the Arcala's holder. So this uh, the Arcala protocol can gain access to additional service other than just gaining the prior chain access. It can gain access to Oracle service. It can gain access to like on-ramp, off-ramp service. I'm just using an example. So those is the one, the one direction that we can go to once, once the Akala, uh, so when was fund finished, it's primary objective. The other, um, way we can, we can go is that we can still to hold on onto dot and to hold additional dots because we know that dot is you, right? And if dot at that stage was proven to be a solid asset, um, the, the product itself can continue to hold to additional profit in terms of dot. And because those dots can then to generate the yield, then it can, can become a fund to support the development of this network, to continue to support this development of this network. So that's another way that we can, uh, we can, another approach that we can take. Um, I think the possibility is endless. We are just guessing some of the possibility right now. But I think maybe two years later, there will be a lot more utility for this um, protocol to own. Yeah, and that is actually kind of like a good way to wrap up the this like sovereign wealth fund is just like so we talked at the very beginning about how you know your money is not just money anymore and it can be serving multiple functions that are multiple financial functions but also other functions. And so when we talk about like having a fund and uh, multiple chains here like Akala and Flow, what do you think the future looks like um, where people are using these tokens for like governance decisions for perhaps voting on like the actual Polkadot protocol with the dots that are staked or bonded behind the parachain lease, governance of the chains themselves, uh, staking, the management of the, the wealth fund. Um, how, do, how do all these things come together? And like, what do you think it looks like for the actual token holders? Well, I think this is a very interesting question. So if we talk about how do you actually govern this, there's a whole set of, um, of science or a whole set of studies needed to find out which the optimal way to govern a particular protocol or to govern a particular referendum. I think um, if we need to talk about this project, we are not actually in the blockchain space anymore. We're talking about hey, building a digital nation with all the token holder being citizens. And if you think all the token holder are citizens, there's a number of ways that you can run an election, right? And there's a currently a lot of way to run an election in the world. There's like, if you look at United States, there's like those first past the poll, which is in my opinion, horrible. Um, and in New Zealand here, we have the MMP system, which allow you to, um, to vote, um, with, um, some minorities still being represented in the parliament. Um, there's also talk about like the single transfer of vote being one of the more optimal way to represent the actual interests of the, the token holders. But what I, what, what we start to think right now is that, I mean, as civilization come to this years, I mean, the two that we have in the, in, from the old age, like this voting, this ballot things, um, those are really outdated. In a blockchain world, like this rule or this voting system can be, can be implemented and can be updated, can be evolving in the real time. So instead of me talking about how do you think like this token, um, this token holder can start to govern these um, protocols, I mean, our idea is that we're going to come up with, um, we're going to come up with what we call a, a progressive decentralization or a progressive um, democratic process. So initially, because we are the builder of this network, 
we will have a, a great deal of inference on how the direction this network is gonna um, gonna be, uh, how do we gonna steer this network. But the more user, the more trader, the more holder get into this network, we would like to slowly, slowly losing our control and ultimately completely lose our control and it become like truly owned by the, by the, by the holders. And how do we get those holders to participate and to join and to have a, a scientific uh, governance um, uh, process? I mean, we have some idea, but I'm pretty sure that's not the optimal solution right now. We can't actually think about it right today. I mean, we'll probably have some sort of um, similar um, council voting, similar to what Propolo is currently proposing. But I'm pretty sure those will evolve as the day goes by. And the good thing about this subject and the Propolo um, code base is that this whole governance process is on-chain and can be upgraded as long as the previous governance process allow that to, to happen. So what we will see is that other than us sticking to one rule, we will see our rule evolving and reflecting in a, in a way that's in almost real time to, to find out the most optimal way for holders to participate and to actually own this network. Um, and that's, I think, is very interesting. Um, uh, th- I mean, I really would like to echo uh, what Gavin said uh, in the Ready Layer One talk um, like a few days ago. Uh, he said that um, now th- there was SWOT and now there's like PAN, which is more powerful uh, than a SWOT. And now this keyboard is more powerful than PAN. I really believe that is the case. Um, we are, I mean, the future belongs to the nerds, uh, the coders. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I think like what we're talking about here is like a digital society. And it's turning out to have a lot of the same questions that normal societies have, but we finally have the digital tools to like actually I would say make a first attempt at answering them. Yeah, I think if you look at if you look at all the sectors that have been has been revolutionized by the technology, by the internet, by computer, pretty much uh, all of the sector have been has been being wiped out and being revolutionized by the computers. But there's a number of sectors that are still very, very old or very, very old age. So if you look at the finance sector, they have been light there for 100 or 200 years. It, there's no fundamental change to it. It's not impacted by the technology changes. Um, the, the same with the governance like the election process, how you run an, a con- uh, how, how you run a country, how you run the, the the voting process, those is still we are using like very very legacy technology, and I think it's the time is, is right for for this sort of um, disruption in this old sector as well. The last question: um, How do you see people? So you're building a lot. I mean, like uh, three different protocols on Laminar, and then two protocols on Akala, a decentralized sovereign wealth fund. And then we're talking about like existing within Polkadot where there's lots of other applications. Um, and we've talked a little bit about like, you know, having an identity in an Oracle. How do you see people using like this like whole suite of protocols that you're designing? Well, I think this is um, this is a very good question. We believe that we are in a very early stage of um, of this decentralization movement. And every one of us is actually companion rather than competitors. So we do believe that because money itself is programmable on the blockchain already, and all the protocol is um, open and interconnectable. We think that um, given enough time, all this protocol will find a way that they will work seamlessly. Um, and that's especially true on the Polkadot ecosystem, right? You have all these different shards. They all have their different um, um, mechanism design. They all have their different um, 
token economic, but they are all connected to the relay chain. And if we can find out, find out some sort of like, um, standards between different shard, um, value can flow seamlessly into different shards. And that's actually what we are pushing for as well. So the number of teams that have been working with us on the Polkadot ecospace, we are, we are starting to try to form if we can have uh, a draft proposal for uh, like a universal token standard in the Polkadot ecosystem so we can have like the asset or the value being defined as an interface. So that's one thing that we are working with. Um, there's a lot of interest in this area. Um, there's a number of teams that express interest in working for, for such standard, um, with us already. The other stuff is that, um, we can see a lot of other team that's building, uh, on Polkadot and they have a very, some very unique offering. And it's like the synergy that they are able to create is bigger than what they would otherwise stay along. So one of the network they've been working very closely is, is uh, the, the, the Fala network. They're a privacy um, substrate-based solution, and they are, they are aiming to become a power chain as well. So we're talking about that, hey, if you are working, uh, focus on privacy, and what we are working is focus on stablecoin. Maybe if we work together, we can have a privacy stablecoin. Think about that. Think about that. And the the value that we are able to bring to both parachain is way more than if we walk al- uh, along. If you think about that, hey, you can have like Zcash running on top of, uh, on top of Ethereum. That kind of cool, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I think I think we'll end it there. Um, where should people go to follow Akala and Laminar? Yeah, there were both active on Twitter. So there's like Alcala Network at Twitter and there's Lamina Protocol at Twitter. And I think, um, if I recall correctly, most of the um, listeners to this podcast, they are builders, they are uh, coders. I think the best place to follow us is on GitHub. So we are very, very active on GitHub. Um, we have a set of, um, wikis. We have a set of, um, documents. And of course, we accept um, the, the full, um, project repository is on GitHub. So maybe the best place to follow us is on GitHub. Okay. Um, great. Thanks, Antonia and Rui Tao for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter. 